Hi, I wanted to talk about something that I haven't really thought about in a while and I haven't written about and I haven't really shared about. Um, and this is a form of self-care, but it's also kind of a form of um, thought stopping and a form of getting things done and focus. So when you have a child with a terminal diagnosis and I do not feel that Rose is terminal at this point, but her diagnosis of trisomy 18 is a diagnosis that medical professionals would call terminal and many um, do say ultimately trisomy 18 children will die. Um, so that is when, why I say that. Uh, Rose has medical needs and we have definitely been in crisis in our life. Um, so I do use that word sometimes because I think we hold a lot of the stress and challenges that parents with children with a terminal diagnosis have. However, I want to be clear. Trisomy 18 is a genetic condition that in of itself is not terminal. Okay, so when you have a child with such special needs and medical complexities, you do have times in your life where you are put on fight or flight mode. We are not in that time now. Um, we are in kind of the chronic cares, which is a blessing and wonderful and has its own journey for me to find my downtime and rest um, amongst that. But what I'm going to talk about now is something I learned when we were in more crisis stages and how I can even continue to use it today to help me. I remember feeling extremely guilty and sad that I just couldn't be available for my other children sometimes. And I just wasn't available to friends, family, and my husband. But these are adults, so I also um, know that they have love and respect for me and they could wait. But my children, I also felt very guilty. And sometimes I literally had to not think about them. Um, it sure did a number on me. Um, I don't think I ever successfully did it. Because <laughs> I think I got really busy analyzing the whole experience so much <laughs> <laughs> that I don't know that I actually ever forgot them. But I did heavily, heavily um, try to find insight in this very hard task that was put in front of me. And it was to forget about my kids for a while and be 100% present for Rose. Okay. This caused some issues. I did this kind of unconsciously at first and then it became a conscious effort because it worked. If I could shut off all the outside stress, worry, guilt, fear, um, demands and my role in other relationships, if I could pause those and block those out from my mind for a while, I could be 100% present to learn the medical world. This wasn't just ignoring them so I could cuddle my baby 
or I could sit in a NICU in a rocker and, and hold my baby. Not at all. This was so that I could attend grueling talk after talk with different people, questioning, accusing, asking. I mean, I had to be on it. Why? Why do you feel your daughter needs heart repair? Um, what, what, do you, what do you feel her life will be? Who is Rose? How does she fit in? Um, then explanations. Well, the way her veins are, they, um, they won't work. We can't go to cath lab because she will immediately die. Um, heart block. Have you heard of heart block, Miss Willard? Um, just, you know, we talked to Stanford. Stanford's a no. We talked to UCSF. UCF's a no. How, how do you, how do you want us to go from here? What should we do? See, everybody says it's central apnea. I'm just thrown these things and I need to engage. I need to answer the questions. I need to have other plans. I need to hear them. And with squinty eyes and tears rolling down my cheeks, I need to look for that exit. I need to say, well, did we try this? Well, how about that? Well, I saw that somebody did this. Can we do that? And I'm searching and I'm emailing parents on Facebook and I'm learning and I'm writing things down and I'm questioning and I'm waiting for one doctor to get off and I'm shooting my new ideas to a different doctor and I'm going behind someone's back and looking for ethics but then I'm talking to them the next day over Rose and trying to um, play nice with them so I can have them keep my daughter alive for a couple more days and then I'm contacting Soft and I'm contacting Simon's Law um, founder Cheryl Corser and I'm writing letters and I'm taping them in my daughter's wall and I'm dealing with a nurse trying to be my friend when my brain is um, just literally fighting the higher ups in administration. I'm talking to neonatologists across my path. Once I see their picture in a hallway, I realize that they're at a higher level than they even told me they were. I'm going back to them and I'm pleading my case. I'm waiting in Rose's dark, silent room where she does not want to be held at that time just for anyone to pass my way and network with them and um, win them over. And I'm sitting with my Bible and I'm searching for scripture, searching for direction. And then my phone rings. And there's my three-year-old's face. Mommy, mommy, mommy. And I hit decline. Because I'm two minutes away from going into a meeting where I have to say why my daughter should get heart repair. And I have to go in front of 10 more people that have medical degrees, that have years of experience. And I have to hold fast that I know she will survive heart repair. And I have to explain it. Me. <laughs> somebody with no cardiology experience, somebody with no medical degree, somebody with no money, to be honest. Um, that happens a lot in our world, too. A lot of people start trying to help people with children that need to transfer and that are in hostile care, and they'll even tell me. And it is a huge, huge um, pet peeve of mine to have someone step in to help and then just start listing how there isn't enough money and insurance won't approve and they have state insurance so they can't do this and they can't do that. Because I had no money 
and I had no um, private pay insurance at the time. Rose also needed um, extensive things, and we had something called CCS that our state has. Other states have other things, but, um, you know, we had so many obstacles, so many hurdles, and it really was just being 100% present. Um, Later, I look back, and it wasn't me at all. It was the Holy Spirit. But at that time, I believed it was me. And um, I had to be on it. And so I had to consciously block out people and put them at times. Like, okay, and at this time, I'll be able to call Max. And at this time, I'll be able to check in with my son's teacher. And then I can maybe talk to my husband. And then maybe I can. But I had to... Be 100% available and present in that hospital to also learn. I had to learn. It scared me the first time I pushed one of Rose's meds. It scared me to think my daughter was going to have a hole in her stomach and she was going to eat through me putting food straight into her stomach. Um, it, It scared me. And as I learned these things, my hands shook. And as I listened and I nodded and I said, sure, yep, got it, totally can do it, yes, totally, yeah. Uh huh. <laughs> um, I was scared, and it was not safe for me to tell them I was scared, and it was not safe for me to go on Facebook and say, "Oh my gosh, I am scared." My daughter. No, I had to speak life, and um, in doing this, I had to. Almost, I'm not going to say dissociate because that's a big word. And I was still aware of um, the other aspects of me and my other roles. But to a degree, I had to think of it that way. I had to think of it as um, mothers that leave their children. You know, I would have all these aha moments. I've worked with people that have had really challenging situations. I have sat in a room with clients or people who, you know, have left their children and started new lives or have um, had to leave an abusive partner and forget about it and never look back. And... I fortunately was in a professional role, so I had no place to judge those people. And in my professional role, unconditional positive regard is a must. And I will work hard to give that to my clients. But as a human, as a mom, um, I have had plenty of judgments on how could that person leave their child? How could that person not know who's taking their child to school that day or helping them with their test or picking out their outfit or buying their groceries or putting them in a sport and cheering them on at the field. And what kind of parent is that? So this grew me on so many ways that I find it hard to articulate, but I know the Lord was growing me in many ways. When my husband flew out with my boys and visited us for the first time, 
in Omaha. I went about my day. We have the kids at kids camp at this day. I have time to snuggle them at this time. I can watch a movie with them at that time. Gotta go. Gotta go to Rose. Um, oh, they called me. Gotta go. Gotta go to Rose. I think it was on about day two. My husband said to me, we need you. You're gone. We need you. It's all about Rose. It's all about Rose. You're on Rose Island. You're on an island. It's you and Rose, and we don't exist. And he called me on it. He had felt it. And that was the other side of this. I needed it. I needed that space. I needed to learn. I needed to figure out how to transfer us. I needed to sort through what was real, what was lies, what I was asking for. And I needed to 100% focus on Rose's care. But enter a family, a husband, four children. And you have to integrate them. And to integrate them, does that mean I lose my edge? And does that mean I stumble and I fall because I already felt overwhelmed? And if I lose that edge, does she die? So I respectfully heard him, but I said no. 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 (laughs) I hear you. I have filed that away for later. I'm aware of all the repair work I'm going to need to do with my marriage, with my husband, with my kids, my parents, with my siblings. Um, Didn't I don't have any friends, so that was easy. (laughs) Um, So you know, it was just no. This is what it is. And then here and there, we started to figure it out where Rhett could go be with Rose and I could be with the boys. And the boys could come in and visit Rose for a while. And then, in particular, two days. Um, One day we went to the zoo. Very hard. Very beautiful. Very glad we did. Every stroller, every baby was a trigger. It hurt. That zoo troop was so wonderful. And it hurt my heart. I think more than seeing Rose in the PICU was seeing healthy babies at the zoo. It hurt. It stung. I share this because any moms, dads, people going through hospital life now, healthy babies can be a trigger to a lot of hurt and a lot of fear. And it can trigger a lot of the... um, fearful thoughts of the future, of what's to come for your baby. It can trigger jealousy. Why not my baby? Um, I could even get triggered by pictures of my own children at Rose's age and get jealous. So it's not rational. (laughs) It's not wrong. It's not bad. It's human. And it is not that rational because like I said, I would, could, would have to look away from myself, you know, uh, a picture of myself maybe nursing one of my kids and I couldn't nurse Rose and so I get angry. Um, it's not, it's okay. It's not bad. It's not wrong. You may have a relative who has a baby the exact age as your baby. It's not wrong to stare at that baby and feel shock and ache and hurt. Uh, the good news is that does eventually go away because 
when you speak life for your child and you stop hearing all the other people's voices in your head and you know your child has life, um, you might see a kid running that's their age and it might take your breath away for a moment, but you're too busy tending to your kid to be so sad about what they aren't. Um, you're too busy celebrating who they are. So that does get better. Well, now it's my Sunday and I just left the chiropractor because I've been having massive headaches and I know to look for signs of caregiver burnout and I know that I need to keep my body strong and my mind strong and my spirit strong. So I have my bottle of water here that I'm drinking. I went to my chiropractor. I have a Bible. I'm headed to lunch and I have a me day. Um, I wanted to do this podcast to share that to an extent I have to do that too. I popped back home twice today with groceries. We had a beautiful family fight. <laughs> As I screamed at my husband that he is not to scream what happened when one of my boys gets hurt. He is to go to the boy and hug the boy. And my husband screamed back at me. He needs to know what happened. And I'm screaming, why do you need to know what happened? Just hug him. So that's true confessions of a family with four boys and a little girl and a 16-year-old girl FaceTiming at the same time with our daughter who went to homecoming last night.